What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 89 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm hanging out with author Lauren McBrayer. Thanks for checking out the show today. I I just love the fact that you take some time out of your day to listen to my work here. Adult education is a fun project for me that I do out of the love of conversation with people and just learning new things. If you want to support me or the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on right now. I know most of you listen via Spotify. I can't stress to you how important those five stars are if you could do that for me. If you're using a platform, by the way, too, that allows a little review, please share a few words. That also really helps the podcast algorithm gods know which shows they want to push out to some new listeners. There's something about the spring and summer seasons that just make me want to grab a good fiction novel. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just nicer to sit outside in the sun and enjoy a good story as opposed to some dense educational book. Anyway, I came across the book that we're going to talk about today, and I just had to give it a shot. I'm so glad that I did because I really enjoyed this story, and it got me thinking. It got my brain moving a lot. It inspired a lot of conversations because of the relationship dynamics that go on in the story. I'm talking about the book Like a House on Fire by Lauren McBrayer. Basic premise for this story is about a woman that decides to go back into the workforce after taking time off to care for her two children. When she does this, she develops a relationship with her boss that becomes a cornerstone of her life and makes her open her eyes to many things that she didn't really notice before. This new relationship starts to make her question what she wants out of life and out of love. Uh, A very good read, and I'd recommend it to anyone. I had a chance to catch up with Lauren McBrayer to discuss the book and how it was inspired by real situations from her own life. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi there. Hi, how are you? I am great. How are you today? Good. Do you want me on video too? Uh, It's entirely up to you. I find seeing who I'm talking to makes things easier, but that's entirely your call. All right, doing it. We're in match. We're we're both in Navy hoodies. Exactly. It's like a good pairing. It was meant to be, Lauren. Exactly. (laughs) I have to say, I was reading the praise for your book. And one thing that I've always been astounded by is how people come up with words to describe what they're feeling when they read a book. Like I'll walk away from a book and go, I really like that, but not be able to, I mean, like just as an example, wise, witty, and tender, like a house on fire is a multi-layered examination of connection and desire that artfully tackles the question, what if the person you are isn't the one you set out to be? Whoever wrote that, I just, my hat is off to them for the words that came out of their mouth. It wasn't me. I can't do it either. I can't, particularly when a thing you've written, people are like, can you describe it? You know, um, no. <laughs> so I'm glad there are marketing people who can. I had a friend who was in a band and he was like, hey, because I work in a radio station. He goes, hey, would you mind writing something about my song? And I, I was I toiled over it forever. And I sent him something. He goes, this is crap. I'm never going to use it. But thank you for trying. <laughs> Thank you for being my friend, but no, thank you. Like, I like your song. I don't know what else to say about it, but, uh, Laura, the book is fantastic. It's called like a house on fire. Uh, it's brought up some interesting conversations between my wife and I, just uh, the idea of making a connection with someone like the idea of cheating emotionally or cheating physically and which one's worse. Is there a worse one? Does it matter? It's been an interesting time reading this book and having this conversation. Well, it's interesting. You're the first person who's highlighted the sort of emotional affair aspect of of this book. I mean, obviously in this book, I mean, spoiler alert, it goes beyond emotional affair. But um, I think the impetus for this story was thinking through this idea of emotional intimacy, intimacy among friends and, and for straight women, which is what I was when I started writing this novel, 
there isn't, you can't have an emotional affair with a female friend. If you're straight, your husband isn't worrying that you're spending all your time with one girlfriend, telling her everything, processing your life with her, you know, your husband's like many husbands, mine uh, was relieved to, to think that like, he's sort of off the hook that women can do that for each other. And I was really interested in looking at what happens if there's no limit to that friendship. So you develop that intimacy, you have the quote unquote, like emotional affair that doesn't exist for women. And then what if it could go even further? Like what if it has no limit? And, and that's where I went with this book. So full disclosure, I haven't finished it yet. I just got to a point and I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone who's going to read it where, uh, Merritt and Jane got very drunk at Jane's house. And it seems like things are about to take that turn. So the writing is on the wall. I can see where we're starting to head. Um, but that's as far as I've gotten so far, but it's interesting because I, I saw something you wrote that you said, this is not autobiographical. It's not a memoir, but it does mean something very special to you. So I have to imagine the way you put that, that this there is something very true to this story from your own personal life. Yeah, absolutely. There is. And I think it's a thing I learned in the writing. It's not, my experience with this book is, has been, I mean, fascinating to me as the writer of it. When I started writing it, I thought it was just a cool idea. And I was interested in looking at female friendship. I was interested in looking at female aging and relationships among women of different ages, which Jane and Merritt are, they're 20 years apart for listeners and as I got to know these characters and they got to know each other, their arc and their relationship just sort of unfolded. And in the writing, I realized that I was beginning to ask the questions that my protagonist was. And she really opened the door for me in my own imagination to, to imagine what might be possible. Um, and in the sort of wake of the book, my life has begun to, begun to look a lot like Merritt's, um, which is... I think not the way it typically goes. Usually the personal experience like predates the book. Um, but for me, it didn't. It, the book paved the way and I'm so grateful that it did. That is really interesting. Uh, side note really quick. Is this your first novel, by the way? It is my first adult novel. I wrote three young adult novels years ago under my married name um, that are very different books. Okay. So my first adult and it's it's what I'm doing from now on for sure. Well, my hat is still off to you here because this is such a fantastic, you know, first adult novel. I mean, your first step into this world. It's so great. It's its captivating. And normally for me personally, this is not necessarily the story that I would be drawn to. And in fact, the reason that I was really drawn to this is I have a, a very good friend, uh, a woman who had only ever dated men. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, she all told us that she was with a woman and she's been with this woman for about two years now. And I remember having the conversation with her totally fine with me, but you could tell there was some conflict where she was like, I really care for this person and I'm not ashamed of that, but I don't know. I don't know what I am. Like, am, am I a lesbian? Am I gay? Like what? Well, I, she's like, I don't really know. I don't feel like anything has changed. I just feel like I've really fallen for this human. And I, that was what attracted me to this book. Cause I wanted to read from your perspective, this story of these two people and try to understand maybe where that came from. Yeah. I mean, that was absolutely my experience, you know, as I, began exploring my own queerness, realizing that, I mean, it really is about the person. And it's sort of, if you let go of gender being a defining characteristic of, of who you might be able to love, I think it opens up, you know, so many, so many possibilities. But the other thing I wanted to look at in this book was, I mean, this is a bad way to put it probably, but like the privilege of exploring that in the characters live in San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles 
you know, it's a very different experience to be in your forties and be like, hmm, I think I want to come out of a marriage and date women. Now you get congratulations. You get like, you know, hashtag living your truth. I grew up in Atlanta, you know, in a suburb of Atlanta. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that would be the experience if I was coming to this there. And so I think it was important for me to give visibility to the experience where as Mara is questioning her sexuality, it, it's not as though there are huge roadblocks to her, like culturally in her environment. And um, I don't know, I feel like we don't have enough stories like in that area. Uh, so that's what I wanted to write. That is an interesting way to put that too, because my wife and I, not in this particular topic, but we both grew up in the Northeast in different areas and we, we still live in Baltimore now. So we're, we're still in the Northeast mid-Atlantic area, fairly liberal areas where we've grown up. So there's a lot of understanding and people, the hashtag live their truth, yeah. um, but there's potentially a move that will take us into the South in the near future. And there's, there's been some worry about that. My wife is half Asian. She's half Filipino and she's concerned about what kind of reaction she's going to get from people. And, and it, it is interesting that just different places you can get, a totally different reaction to your life decisions and how you live your life. Totally. And then you put it in a novel that has, you know, nationwide distribution. And it's just, it's a funny experience to how people receive the book based on their own experience, based on their own marriages, based on sort of their cultural understanding of what women should be and what women are entitled to have. And for me, that's like the best part of writing it to, to have those different conversations and the female experience the universality among, you know, all of us, but also the regional differences in expectation and, and, you know, female obligation. I will never pretend to understand everything about women. Uh, but I, I try to understand the human condition wherever I can. Like when I see a book like this, I want to read it because I want to understand the perspective and try to see uh, how these characters and their brains work and how they model their lives. And I'm just always so fascinated how different we all are and how, I don't know how, how so many different things are happening at all times around us. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think the specificity of Merritt's experience in the book, I mean, you know, she has a very particular career. She's an architect, but she's also an artist. So there's this combination between like her left brain and her right brain and practical and, you know, whimsical and creative. And she ends up, you know, becoming friends with and falling in love with a woman who's 20 years older, who doesn't have kids, who's grew up in Denmark. Um, you know, these are really, it's a really specific story, but I think at the same time, or at least I hope her experience as a woman and a, a working mother with two young kids, you know, in a, in a city that's expensive. So there's the financial pressure to, to keep working, but also to try to manage childcare, but also try to spend time with your kids and, and all those pressures for women, you know, in that kind of environment. Um, I'm hoping that it has both the specificity that's interesting for her experience as a character, but also the universality of this working woman um, experience. I thought you nailed some of the things too, uh, personally, because my wife and I, we had a baby about 16 months ago. And if you see me looking to my side, it's because she's eating lunch next to me. I'm just hoping that she stays quiet with Frozen on the iPad here uh, long enough for us to have this conversation. But there were things that Corey and Merritt go through that my wife and I have certainly discussed, you know, when you have that baby and life changes and gosh, it's been a pandemic where you're sort of trapped in the house together as well. There's so many different things that happen that it it's hard. Like it's very, it should say it's very easy to fall into a little rut every now and then and just find yourself there and go, Oh my gosh, we got to dig ourselves out of this and get back to it. Oh. And I really thought that you nailed those emotions with Merritt and Corey in this. Thank you. I mean, 
I'd be lying if I said I had to use a lot of imagination to get there, um, you know, drawing from some personal experience for sure. Um, but I think for me, what I, what I was trying to demonstrate is sort of the, the rut that you get in, but also how we participate in furthering the rut. You know, Merritt has resentments that you hear in her internal monologue, and she could be a better communicator. You know, she could tell her husband more clearly her expectations. You know, there's a scene in the book where they're having a, a party for their, their youngest and, you know, he kind of comes in at the last minute is second guessing all of her choices. You know, she could say to him very clearly, like, this is kind of irritating to me because I've worked really hard and, and I've thought this through. Can you trust me? But instead she doesn't say any of that. It's all in internal. She's resentful of him. You know, and the criticism could be like, why doesn't Merritt communicate better? The answer is like, none of us do. Mm -hmm. This is what we do in marriage. We, we play these roles and we keep playing them. And it's just easier to avoid the argument or, or to get the thing done. Um, and I don't think there's a quick or easy solution to how to fix that. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a conundrum making marriages last and communicating with your spouse and, and managing a home and, and children and jobs. Um, you know, it takes some magic and it takes some patience and you know, for some people, it, it doesn't ultimately like it's impossible. So, uh, you know, all that is there in the novel. I found myself wondering, too, if Jane had not come into the picture, what would have happened with Merritt and Corey? And, and I don't know how the book ends. I have to assume because it doesn't seem like their relationship is going to be long lasting, uh, given the storyline that is happening. So I have to assume it does not continue in some way. But I have to wonder, because it doesn't seem like their relationship is terrible. It seems like it's certainly lost that spark. And as you said, there's some resentment and there's some communication issues, but they, they still seem to care for each other and they still seem to have a, have a love between the two of them. So I wonder if, if Jane doesn't come into the picture, what happens with these two? Yeah, I mean, I, that might be my favorite question because I think they probably stay together. I think Merritt and Corey figure it out. I mean, they there's a scene you haven't gotten to yet where... Um, Corey wants to make a move and he has some grander plans for them. And I think Merritt would have gone along with that and, and tried to sort of tried to be happy and maybe they'd gone to counseling and maybe they could have figured it out. And the question, you know, I asked myself and I think readers should ask is like, is that the better outcome? Do we wish that she hadn't met Jane so that she could have stayed in this marriage and like made it work? Or is the happiness and sort of the sense of self and authenticity that she, she finds with Jane and she'll find it even more as you keep reading. Is, is that the best outcome? Is it actually good that she lit her whole life on fire to, to find something deeper and truer, even if that means a failed marriage? I think that's a great question to ask. Well, Lauren, I know I'm running out of time with you on your busy promo tour day for this book, but I, I love this book so much. I cannot wait to finish it. I, I was uh, just devouring it last night as my daughter was not sleeping. And then finally I was like, I really need to go to bed now because it's like midnight. I need to get some sleep, but uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it. Lauren, where can people go if they want to find out more information about you or this book? Yeah, two, the best two places to find me are my website, which is laurenmcbrayer.com. And my publisher, Putnam, has made an incredible book club guide. So if you're reading it with your book club, go download that easily from there. And then on Instagram, I'm Lauren McBrayer Writes. Lauren McBrayer, the book is like a house on fire. Fantastic work. Thank you so much for your time. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thank you to Lauren McBrayer for her time today. I so appreciate it. Her book, Like a House on Fire, is fantastic. It's available anywhere. It would make a really good book club book. There's so much that can be discussed from this. And thank you to all of you for listening this week as well. I appreciate you taking time to hang out with me. Until next time, be well.